0: Next week, you guys are up. I'll have you guys do something around the room. We'll see about that. Well, welcome to Logos Worship. If you're new with us today, thank you so much for walking through these doors, parking in these parking lots, being around new people. We're delighted that you're here. We'd love to know that you're with us. You can let us know by going to fbcsa.org Connect. Uh, We also want to give something to you, so please grab me on your way out. We just have a little information about our church family and even give you a nice, shiny mug. So if you're brave enough, come grab me after the service. We'd love to honor you in that way. Uh, Just as a reminder, as Ethan has already uh, told you and you're already aware, um, we are entering into Holy Week, um, and we have a lot of various things going on in Holy Week uh, to center us, Uh, and who Christ is and what he has done in the cross and the resurrection. And so tonight we are gathering for Palm Sunday Combined Worship. That's the Logos Worship Band and um, traditional choir and all their instrumentalists um, at 6 p.m. You don't wanna miss that. It's a beautiful time of combined worship. And then Good Friday um, is the following Friday, of course, and we are gathering for that time of reflection and repentance Um, at 7 p.m., and of course, uh, Sunday morning, uh, Easter Sunday, and all of its normal festivities with a sunrise service, a Bible study, and then worship at 11 o'clock. We have been in this new series called Unlocking the Old Testament for a number of weeks. Last week, we were in the book of Joshua around the story of Rahab and her faith in this God who is giving the land to the people of Israel. She ended up um, finding rescue and redemption, not just for herself, but generations of others in her family. It's a really awesome story. Um, But we're still sticking around Jericho. This week, if you haven't already read, we're in Joshua chapter five, verses 13 through 15, then chapter six, verses one through five. Really spending some time looking at Joshua's encounter with the captain of the Lord's army and the captain's instructions on how they are are to uh, have victory over this fortress, this city called Jericho. Really, the heart of this story is about God's provision, his fulfilling of his promises that he had made a long time ago to his people and have continued to make to them along the way um, as they would enter this land of Canaan. And so with that said, let's go ahead and stand together and read the first five verses of chapter six, which are those instructions that the captain of the Lord's army gave to Joshua. Let's read this together. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The Lord commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Let's pray. Father, bless uh, the reading of your word. Help us to see and to hear and to faithfully yield all of our lives to you in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said Amen. amen. As you can tell, we read from chapter five, not chapter six, that is appropriate there. Let me just remind you, God's purpose to his people from the very beginning was for his creative human beings made in his image to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion over all the earth. Of course, that, that didn't come to fruition at the moment because of the sin of Adam and Eve. But God was committed to that promise. And so he said, as sights on Abraham and made a covenant with him, that through Abraham, that promise would be fulfilled and that Abraham would be a father of a great nation of princes and kings and that through this new family that he would bless the whole world. And that's been coming into fruition through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and even Rahab and Joshua is a part of that promise, fulfilling of that promise too. And now we find... That Joshua, after being forty years in the desert and Moses dying, uh, Joshua has assumed leadership, and Joshua is now tasked in in part in fulfilling this promise by leading the people of God, the Israelites, into this land of promise, the Promised Land, the land of Canaan, and that would be their home, and they would flourish, and God would be their provision all along the way, and the book of Joshua. Is Joshua's leadership in securing the land of Canaan and, of course, capturing some of those missteps along the way, but centering also on God's provision along the way and the fulfilling of that promise. We know the kind of promises that God made to the people throughout the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy in particular in chapter 7 and 8 and chapter 11 and others you can go back and look at these later but God provided some very unique powerful promises that as you enter this new land that I'll make away from you you'll never you'll never have to worry if you if you're going to be victorious or not because I'm going to make a path for you every nation is going to give over to you their cities and their land um, he promised them that he would be their provision, that the land would be fruitful because of his faithfulness to provide the rains. He would even say in chapter 11 of Deuteronomy, he says, you can't go about securing the land and even growing crops the way you did it back in Egypt. You've gotta do it my way. Uh, you've gotta trust me to provide the rains in the season. You can't dig irrigation digits like di- ditches like before. You're just gonna have to trust me and I'll provide. He says, I promise I'll provide everything that you need along the way and when you get in and secure the land if you're faithful to love me and obey me in this covenant relationship that I have with you. Those are the promises. And they're about to enter the land. They they are right there. They have crossed the Jordan, much like they crossed the Red Sea. The the waters parted and... uh, 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 Joshua led the people and the elders across the Jordan in that miraculous way, and before them is Jericho, the first people, city, fortress within the land of Canaan that stands in their way of securing the promised land and fulfilling and receiving all that God has promised them. And so... Joshua has this incredible encounter with the captain of the Lord's army. So let me read verses 13 and 14 again. So when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied, I am the commander of the Lord's army. Now, it's fitting for me before we start looking at these texts to also see what has just happened immediately before. We find that in verses 9 through 12. So hear these as well. So this is right before, this really sets us up for Joshua's encounter. Verse 9 of chapter 5. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. Significant deal. They've been carrying that in one way or another for the past 40 plus years. And he says, I'm rolling it away. So that place has been called Gilgal to this day. Verse 10, while the Israelites were camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, Jericho's not far away. They see that fortress city. They celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. This is the first Passover celebration in the land of Canaan, and only the second, at least that which is recorded for us since they left Egypt. This is only the second time that they have celebrated Passover, which is remembering God's deliverance out of Egypt, and also forecasting his future promise and deliverance that is to come. Significant moment. Very, uh, verse 11, the very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land and it was never seen again. So let me just remind you, for the past 40 years, God has met every single need. They couldn't grow crops in the desert, uh, not to mention they were wandering around the whole time. God provided manna. And quail, he met every single need. They come into the land of Canaan. Jericho's before them. God says, I've promised you everything. I will provide all that you need there in this fruitful land. The manna stops. And they eat for the very first time from the fruit of the land. Huge, and they celebrate the Passover meal. God's delivered us. Significant. And then they have Jericho in front of them. And he encounters this man in front of him with a sword, and uh, Joshua asks him the most natural question, right? He says, are you friend or foe? I mean, he sees this guy, sword in hand, huge, we don't know. I mean, they had to be pretty intimidating. And Joshua needed to know, are you for the people or against the people? Are you on my side? Or are you on Jericho's side? And the reply is also surprising and telling. He says, He says, neither. I'm neither one in verse 14. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now, in this encounter, there are some truths that lead us to God as provider that come up along the way. And the first one is right here. Without having to ask the question directly to Joshua, he asks him the question. He says, I want you to know that I'm on neither Jericho's side, I'm not on your side, I'm on whose side? God's side. And the question, a rhetorical one, is this. Joshua, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Now implicit in this, which I've just already said, is that God is saying, I, I'm, I'm on neither side. I'm not against Jericho or for Jericho, against you or for you. Um, I'm about God's agenda. But imp- implicit in that is that God is not against the people of Jericho. We'll come back to that in a minute. But the question is, what, what is God really trying to tell Joshua in this moment who is the most centered person in God's heart God is I think the commander the captain of the Lord's army wants Joshua to know that he is about God's agenda that he is there to fulfill God's agenda to pursue God's glory and the question for Joshua is are you for God's agenda is Jericho for God's agenda? Because that has um, a lot of determination on what happens next. Of course, we know this to be true throughout scripture. God is foremost concerned about his own agenda. Isaiah 42, eight, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else else. Isaiah 55, he says, I send out a message, I have a purpose, and it will be fulfilled. God has an agenda, a pursuit of his own glory, and there's nothing greater than God's agenda in the heart of God. That's what he wants Him to know. Now, we live in a very different world, and perhaps it's been this way from the very beginning, but today, our world in particular, they would say to love someone is to accept that person's agenda. In order for me to fully love someone, then I have to accept, endorse, adopt someone's agenda. And if you don't adopt my agenda, if I don't adopt their agenda, then somehow I'm not for them, I'm their enemy. But that, that's not how God thinks about loving people. And of course, we can see where that kind of idea of loving someone is gone. Right? Man, if man's agenda, humanity's agenda, becomes first and foremost in the heart of men and women, what happens? And if we demand that you have to accept and endorse my agenda, what happens? The world is left broken. Our world is broken and sinful because we are captivated by our own agendas. And not to mention, we demand and expect God to adopt our agenda. Our world would say, God would never, God. God would never not endorse my agenda because he's loving. To love me is for God to accept everything there is about me. Not just accept me, but endorse everything there is about my agenda rather than God's agenda. The message in the scriptures is a radically different one. The scriptures teach us that our greatest good is not pursuing our own agenda or demanding that others endorse our own agenda but pursuing God's agenda. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus said, listen, if you try to hang on to your life, if you try to hang on to your agenda, you're gonna lose your life. But if you give up your life for my sake or my agenda, you'll save it. Right, and in, 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 in the economy of God, our greatest good is when we pursue God's agenda, not demand that he pursue ours. And this was that moment for Joshua, much like Rahab before him, right? And God's agenda is to give the land to the people of Israel. Am I gonna be for that agenda or am I gonna hold on to my agenda? And she endorsed God's agenda and was redeemed. The rich young ruler, that was a significant moment, comes up to Jesus and says, listen, I, how do I, good teacher, how do I attain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, I know you've obeyed all the law, but you lack one thing. Will you give me your life? Will you pursue my agenda rather than your own? And he turns away with his face to the ground because he said, no, I, I'm holding on to my agenda. This is a similar moment for Joshua and right before the captain of the Lord's army, will Will we pursue the agenda of God? And of course, we know the result. Joshua gives a resounding yes. What does he do? At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence, keenly aware that this is not some mere man. This is... An angelic being who is God's voice in this moment. He says, I am at your command. I, whatever your agenda is, I'm about your agenda. What do you want your servant to do? And then verse 15, we see the next really clear picture of God's character and nature here. He says, the command of the Lord's army replied, verse 15, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did exactly as he was told. I love that about Joshua. He hears something that God says he does it right away. Of course, he had a lot of incentive to in the moment. But this is, this is Joshua's burning bush moment. The, the writer, the narrator here, likely Joshua, is, is pointing us back to that moment. Um, that is told in Exodus where Moses encounters God in the burning bush, and God says the same thing take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. One of the reasons that this is captured for us is the, the writer Joshua uh, wants us to know, God even wants us to know that he has firmly established Joshua as the next Moses to lead the people of Israel. And this is that kind of pivotal moment where he has this encounter. Um, Um, with Joshua to establish him in that way. Uh, I did learn something this week in preparation for this sermon um, regarding taking off your sandals. In ancient Hebrew culture, removing your sandals symbolized that you had no claim on this land, that it wasn't yours. You see them do this when one would be selling a piece of land To another, the the owner of the land would take off one shoe and then exchange the land to that person, him symbolizing that I no longer have claim on this land, it's yours. And you see it in other ways as well. But what a what a moment that when the captain of the Lord's army says I want you to take your sandals off because you're standing on holy ground. What he's saying is, Joshua, I need you to know that this this land belongs to me. And not just right here where the captain of the Lord's army is, but this land is mine. It's holy, that's what holy means. It means devoted to the Lord. It means it's all his. And that's what God wants Joshua and the people to know that While I'm giving this land to you, as I've promised, you need to know that this place, this land, this territory is mine. It's the Lord's. It teaches us something about the theology of place. That there is, as always intended, an emerging of the material and physical world We have a tendency to separate the two and say God's place is some invisible spiritual realm and that the physical place is, well, it's ours. It says ours and that's God's. But what the captain of the Lord's army declares to Joshua and the people and reminds us today is that, no, there's... There is no division between spiritual and, and physical, as if this is ours and that's the Lord's. No, he says, I want you to. I want to remind you that that which the the place in which you're standing, the the land in which I'm giving, the territory that you're in, is equally mine. It's deeply spiritual. That's what. God reminds Joshua and reminds us. With the advent of Jesus, who is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise given even from the very beginning, the revelation of the spirit of God in us, we're too reminded that God lays claim on all our places. All our places. It's all his. All the places that we go, all the places that we own, are the Lord's, our bodies. What does Paul tell the people in Corinth? He says, you don't own your body anymore. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It belongs to the Lord. Your home is not yours. What were the people of Israel commanded to do to put the word of God on their doorposts? Not Not just so they could have the word of God on their doorposts, but have a picture of reality that this This home, this family belongs to me. Our bodies, our homes, our houses, our workplaces, our cars, our bank accounts. Have you ever borrowed anything really valuable before? Maybe like a car, borrowed someone's car. I've borrowed someone's car before and if you've ever done that before or borrowed something very valuable, you're hyper aware of how you use that thing you've borrowed, right, that's not yours. You wanna, be, you wanna be careful with what you are borrowing. You wanna be responsible with it. You don't wanna take it for granted or misplace it or misuse it. This is, this is in part what God is trying to communicate. Listen, take off your sandals. You have no claim to this land. You are on holy ground. It is devoted to me and I'm giving it to you. Now don't take it for granted. Remember, it's mine, and I will bless you in it, and I will provide for you all along the way, but never forget. Don't act like this thing is yours. Don't forget that it's devoted to me. Folks, we cannot forget that our workplaces and our families are devoted to the Lord. We can't... Forget that our stuff is devoted to the Lord, how we use the things that he's given us. It's not just ours to use however we want, it's the Lord's. And he says, treat it with care and with responsibility. That's what he's saying. I'm about to give you this land. Be be ready. Be ready, it's mine. It's mine. And then we get to these instructions on how to... Overthrow Jericho. Verses one through five of chapter six. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites, and they had heard the stories. We saw that last week. Uh, No one, no one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, "I have given you Jericho, its king, and all of its strong warriors." you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead with the Ark of the Covenant, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times, all the while the priest blowing the horns. When you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, the only reason y'all really have a frame of reference on what that might have looked like and sounded like is because the kids helped you out this morning. Very grateful for that. We would have really struggled if it were not for you kids in helping us see what that might have looked like. So, it only makes sense if God has a particular agenda, if What's most important to God is his agenda. And if he lays claim to the land, and if everything is his, then it would make sense that God would have a particular kind of way to go about securing this land and then living in this land. And we see that here, that God has a particular way that he wants them to go about securing their land. Remember, one of the promises was, I'm gonna fight the, your battles for you. You're not, gonna, you're not gonna have to go to war in the traditional sense, because I'm, I'm gonna lead the way. I'm gonna lead them out and lead you in. But nonetheless, we have these very weird instructions, these very weird ways of God in securing Jericho. It is the last thing that they expected. They had their own fighting men. We see them victorious on the other side of the Jordan before they get to the, get to Canaan. We see them in other places victorious. Some They had some men who had some experience. They weren't huge by no means. They didn't have all the technology that other nations might have had, but they had some experience. But the last thing they expected from the Lord was to say, just... Put your swords away. Do it my way. You're gonna march. You're gonna march around the city seven times. And in the last days, you're gonna march around seven times. And the Ark of the Covenant, which represents my very presence, at the end of all that, you're gonna blow horns really loudly, and you just watch what's gonna happen. They did not expect that at all. These were not battle plans, these were not uh, military strategy. I'll tell you what it was: it was grace. It was grace. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that God gave them these kind of instructions was not only them for them to teach them about trust and trusting in the ways of God, it, but it wasn't some arbitrary kind of thing. I'm gonna make you do something really weird and silly and, um, and then at the end of the day, you'll see how it all works out. I, I think there were seven days of the people of Jericho, being able to see the people of God of whom they had heard stories and the very Ark of the Covenant and the priests marching with the Ark of the Covenant, I think it was seven days of opportunity for repentance. I think that was, remember, I, I said, God wasn't against Jericho. All along the way, he had advanced his big stories. We, we have evidence of Rahab who had heard those stories. She said, all the people who had heard those stories, I think there were seven days where they could have repented. Judgment's coming, repent. They didn't. Nineveh does. Nineveh does as an example. God's heart is for the nations. God was for Jericho. It was grace. But remember, God was pretty clear all along the way. I've already read or alluded to passages in Deuteronomy. And he said, listen, I'm taking you back to the promised land. You will live in cities you didn't build. You'll drink wine from vineyards you didn't plant. I will fight your battles for you. And when you get into this, this new land, um, you can't live in it in the same way as you did back in Egypt. You have to depend on me. You have to look to me. And you have to obey me. You have to go about living in this land and defeating your enemies my way, not your way obey me love me follow me and i promise you just wait and see what i'll do this moment was much like the moment joshua just had days before where it was a test of will will i will i yield to god's agenda or pursue my own And here it was for the people of Israel, this wonderful test. Will I I trust the weird, seemingly upside-down ways of God? Or will I go about things my way? Or do it my way? The same is true for us in our friendships, in our families, in our church. Will... Will we go about life doing it the Lord's sometimes seemingly weird, upside down kind of way? Or will we double down and do it our way? I'm going to respond to my spouse my way. I'm going to treat my colleague my way. I'm going to do work my way. It's a great test for us too. What will we do? What are some of the ways of God that are revealed to us in the New Testament? The beauty of the gospel is is, is that through Christ we can now live out the ways of God in a new free kind of way. We have We have the promise of forgiveness of sin and now we're unshackled to live the ways of God. What are some of those ways? Well, the scripture says, Jesus says, you wanna save your life? I've already read this verse. Man, lose it. What an upside down kind of way. You wanna find your life? You wanna save it? Lose it for my sake. Jesus says, you wanna make a difference in the world? Love your enemies. How upside down is that? You wanna be great, become a servant. Be a slave to all. You wanna bear fruit in your life, abide in Jesus. You wanna be blessed, be generous to others. You wanna make disciples, lift Jesus up in your life. Are we gonna go about those ways or be committed to our way? Of doing things. The people of Israel had that test in that moment. They said yes to the Lord. They obeyed the Lord, and they secured Jericho and obeyed Jesus, obeyed the Lord through all of that, which we'll get to more of that next week. Here's the good news when we think about God's agenda and we think about God's territory and we think about God's ways is that we know God's agenda. That's pretty incredible, that we are privileged to know God's purpose, that we're privileged to know God's ways. Jesus, when he was talking to disciples, he says, I want you to know that you're no longer, you're not slaves and servants any longer, you're friends. You know what's cool about friends, he says, is that you know what God's doing. You know what the Father's up to, you know his agenda. What a privilege it is, is that, that we can know God's agenda, what he's all about. What, what a privilege it is that we can be given land and territory and place where he can bless us and we can be a part of what he is doing. God is not far off, he's close. He's close. When we come to Jesus by faith, Believing that he is the fulfillment of all God's promises, we are saying, we are saying here, I'm all, I'm all yours. It's the taking off of the shoes and saying, I'm, I'm all yours. All of my places are yours, and I commit to live by your ways. That's what we say when we come to faith in Jesus. There's not a dichotomy or a dualism of coming to faith in Jesus and not yielding to his ways. Because in doing and living the ways of God, that's where we find real life and fruitfulness. That's where it's found, is when we yield to God's agenda, recognizing that all of this is his and living by his ways. Jesus said, abide in me. In my agenda, in my ways, you'll bear fruit. You'll bear fruit. Will we joyfully yield to God's claim on us in all our places? Will we live by his ways? Will we lose our life to his son? Will we abide in him so that we will bear much fruit in God's kingdom? That's my prayer for you as individuals, that's my prayer for us as a church family, that that would characterize us, that we would be like the people of Israel right as they were entering Canaan and trusting God with everything and being a part of his ways. And ultimately, we exalt Jesus because all of that's fulfilled in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, Joshua. Thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the people of Israel that at least at that moment in history, they said yes to you. And we celebrate that because we're able to see your provision and what you would do in their faithfulness. Help us to live the same kind of way. Lord, we trust in our forgiveness of sin through your son, Jesus. And now by your spirit, help us every day to live your way so that we can be a part of your agenda in all of the earth. We ask you to do that in us and through us as individuals and through this church family and every home. Move us and us in that way. In Jesus' name, we pray in all God's people, say.